Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Good morning, City Walk Church. How's it going out there? It's so good to see you all this morning, and I am thrilled to be here. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here that serves at City Walk Church, and I am thrilled uh, to be here with you all. So for some of you, you don't really know who I am. Uh, especially ones that may be joining us online. We want to send a special thank you, and uh, it's good to see all of those online. But I wanted to give you just a little more update. So I've tried over the last six to seven weeks that I've been here to kind of share with you what's going on in our life and how's it going and all of those things. But uh, just in case maybe you missed some of those details, I thought I would go ahead and share them with you now. And so um, I love taking my family. uh, One of the things that we love to do, I love taking my family out to the beach. Uh, That's one of the things that we enjoy doing. Uh, My wife is probably more of a sit in the pool and look at the beach kind of person, Uh, but the rest of us uh, really like going in the water. And so it was a bucket list of mine that we got here uh, to the West Coast. We had been in the Atlantic Ocean. We went to the Gulf. We were in Florida for a while. We went to the Gulf. And then it was a bucket list thing of mine to go to the Pacific Ocean and put my feet in. So we were all able to do that. It was a little chilly in the Bay Area, so we did not get all the way in. Uh, but we got our feet in there, and it was really, really fun. The second thing is we really love going to the movie theater. I don't know if you guys enjoyed that, but 2020 was devastating to my, my recreational life because I love going to the movie theater. It's something that uh, my mom and I used to do when, we were, when, I, when I was growing up. It's something that we did every, every week, and then uh, so I passed that on to my kids. We really enjoyed that. Uh, and then just in case you're wondering uh, if this means anything to you, my Enneagram number is three. Don't know if that means anything to you, but that's a little bit about me. And the final thing, and maybe the most controversial thing about uh, me is I am a diehard Boston sports fan, okay? So uh, I didn't hear any groans. That's good. Like, that's good. I heard a couple, I saw a couple of shakes, and, but no groans. Usually I say that, and the whole crowd goes, this guy, okay. Um, <clears throat> so I'm a diehard. I grew up over on the, uh, on the East Coast, right outside of Boston, and uh, love, love, Uh, love watching sports, especially uh, Boston sports teams. So I'm excited to be here with you all. One of the other things uh, that a lot of people don't know about me, but the closer you get uh, to me is I am deathly afraid of heights. Hate heights. I inherited it from my dad. I don't like heights. And you're thinking, you're probably thinking to yourself, um, yeah, Josh, you know, me too. Like we, we go to these tall buildings and I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the tall buildings that, uh, that you go to and they have like an out overlook that, we have, that you have, you go to the very top and you can look over the sign and all that. You're thinking to yourself, Josh, I, I can relate. I can relate that I don't like heights either. So, you know, um, this is a safe place, right? We can, I, can, I can be open with you. I'm talking like eight-foot ladders, like not necessarily uh, uh, skyscrapers or anything like that. I'm talking eight-foot ladders and, and, and being deathly afraid of like trying to clean my gutters out because my, my son's like, earthquake test, and he shakes the ladder and, and things come out that shouldn't come out and all of those things. 
right? So I, I hate heights, and it gets to the point where even if I go to the mall on the second story, uh, I go to the second story, and I, for the life of me, I don't know who designed malls to have glass walls, like, and they're only head height for three-year-olds, right? I'm thinking it should be eight-foot-high wood, no one can see over, it's always safe, all of those things, but my kids will run over to the wall, I'll grab them, because I'm like, you're going to fall, they're not going to fall, right? But it's my worry, it's that burden of always thinking, I really want to get to solid ground. So it's that burden that's kind of on me that, that, that does that. And so I thought, um, for your enjoyment and my humiliation, I actually have a little 30-second video that I'd like to show you. And so if you take a look at the screen, you can check this out. So you'll notice, uh, you'll notice the first guy in there is Steve. Uh, Pastor Steve, you probably saw him outside. And that's me. This is about uh, 12 years ago. And uh, so one of the things that you'll see is, is that Steve will tell you constantly that he was not scared during this process. So if you, if you ask Steve what happened here, he'll say he's not scared. But if you'll notice that death grip he has on my arm, right? He will not let go of this death grip. You can see that he is flexing 100%. He has got a death grip on my arm. And as we start to go up, I'm trying to keep it together, y'all. This is the biggest sky coaster in the world. It's 300 feet high. It is a, it is a basic, basically a free fall. So you can see right there, that's me trying to keep it together, right? That's me trying to keep it together. Uh, so the video is actually like five minutes long, so you can actually see the whole video of us falling and all those things. Um, but about six seconds after that, you will see the face of a man who is about to pass out. I, I start to lose it because we're getting farther away from the ground and I'm thinking to myself, I, 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 any, everything in me wants to get out of this situation. And for your enjoyment, about eight seconds after that, this has nothing to do with this, this video, but I thought it was pretty funny. So I'm scared to death. Steve will say he's not, but he was scared to death. And at the time, Steve was having like heart issues. So he looks over to me and he says, hey, Josh, <laughs> I have my heart pills in my front pocket. If I start to have a heart attack, shove them in my mouth. <laughs> to which I, with all the love in my heart, said, we'll die together. <laughs> because I don't know how that's possible. I don't know how that's going to be possible. And so, uh, yeah, you can, you can talk to Steve about it. And it's on YouTube. You can check that out. <clears throat> but we all have that burden, right? Maybe it's not, maybe it's not heights for you. Maybe it's a fear of something. Maybe it's a fear of, of spiders, or maybe it's something else. But we all have that burden that when that comes up, the only feeling we have is to be able to get out of that situation, right? So uh, for me, it's heights. For you, it may have been just an emergency situation. For you, it may be something that's, that's longer and drawn out, maybe more a part of your life. But we all have those situations. So we're starting in Mark 14 today. And in Mark 14... We actually see that the, 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 the tone of the book of Mark actually takes a big shift and it becomes very, very heavy. Up until this point, we've seen Jesus as the leader of a movement. Every situation that, uh, from Mark chapter 1 to Mark chapter 13 that Jesus is, is, is in, he has started to really just make a name for himself. He's healing people. He's actually uh, not just healing people, but he is confronting everything that's wrong with the religion that they have. He's facing the Pharisees without any issues. He's doing all of these things, and he's becoming this leader that people want to follow. And in fact, at the height of his ministry, we, 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 we see that he has 12 to 13 people following him. 
And this is not following him on Twitter, right? He's not just carrying around his phone with 13,000 followers. This is 13,000 people following him behind him. But in Mark chapter 14, we see a shift. In Mark chapter 14, we see that Jesus actually takes a shift into some pretty heavy things. And I want to get into some of that. I want to get into some of those heavy things that he gets into. But before we do, this is a very long chapter. In fact, there's 72 verses in this chapter. Chris told me we had until 12, so I'm going to go ahead and preach through all 72. Um, I'm just kidding. So what we'll do is we're going to start in verse 32. But before we do that, I kind of want to give everybody just a little bit, like bring you up to what's happening in verse 32. So the, the chapter opens with the chief priests beginning to actually finalize plans for them to arrest and start the trial to kill Jesus. They, 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 they had been talking about it in the book before. They had been going through it, trying to get him in a heresy, but they couldn't. So all of a sudden, they're saying, right, you know what? Enough's enough. And in the first part, in the first few verses of 14, we see the Pharisees and the religious leaders begin the process of saying, okay, it's time. We need to arrest this man. And as we get to verse 12, as we get to verse 12, it pass, and we get to the Passover meal. And Jesus is with all his disciples, and they begin a thing called the Passover, which in Jewish culture was actually a, a very big deal. And, it, and if you go back to Exodus 12, which is all the way in the front of your Bible, you go back to Exodus 12, you'll see that Jesus, or excuse me, God delivered, God delivered the Israelites from bondage, from slavery, from Egypt. So he instituted this way to remember that process, and it's called the Passover. So Jesus is celebrating the Passover with all of his disciples, and he actually begins to say that there's somebody in here that will betray me. So again, this tone, again, it goes from, hey, he's healing people, he's doing all these things, to now somebody in the room, one of his friends, one of the people he's been walking around with for three and a half years that he's let into his life is now starting the process of saying, Someone here is going to betray me. Someone actually sitting at the table with us. And he, and he makes that known. He doesn't say the name, but he makes that known. And so then we get to see this, this, this new institution, this new, uh, this new uh, uh, church-filled institution called communion. Jesus begins this process of saying, we celebrate the Passover now, but now what we're going to do is we're going to actually break bread and we're going we're gonna to drink from the cup. And, and if you've been in church at, at all, if you've, you've known about religion, most everybody knows about communion. Most churches take it. And so some of them do it a little differently. But this is the process. This is the point where Jesus actually institutes that process. And in verse 27, we're leading up to the verse 32. And in verse 27, he begins to talk to Peter. To begin to walk Peter through probably the worst moment in his life. And he says to Peter, Peter, before the night's over, you're going to betray me. You're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. Peter begins to argue with Jesus, and he's like, listen, Jesus, no, I'll, I'll die with you. I'll die with you. And Jesus is saying, he gets more specific, and he says, before the rooster crows tonight, three times, you're going to deny me three times. So you can see the tone of this chapter is actually, it, it, again, it turns into this kind of somber reality that this is something that Jesus has been talking about for chapters and chapters in the Gospels, and now it's going to the point where Jesus is actually going, no, no, I'm not talking about this anymore. This is happening. This is happening. So this is where we pick up in verse 32. So you could take a look at the screen where we're going to read 10 verses from verse 32 and verse, all the way to verse 42. So would you read along with me and what Mark says? It says this, Then they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, Sit here while I pray. 
He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved even to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. He went a little farther, fell to the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake for one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, he went away and prayed, saying the same thing. And again, he came and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. Then he came, to a, then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. See, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. My betrayer is near. So this passage, this portion of the passage uh, is going into a, a, a part of uh, when it begins in verse 32 and 33, we see again Jesus taking a posture that we've never seen him take. It says that he's walking into Gethsemane, and the language here is actually saying that he is being crushed. So it says that he's, he's, he's heavy with burden. He's, uh, he asks his disciples to pray. But the, the language here is that Jesus is actually being crushed with a burden. And we don't ever see this before. He says, pray because I am weary even unto death. Even unto death. And in fact, if you go to the parallel passages, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all parallels uh, to the life of Jesus. If we go to the book of Luke in, verse, in, in chapter 22, Luke actually describes that Jesus is actually sweating droplets of blood at this point. And that's a real thing. You can do that. Uh, other people have done that. But that's, he's trying to paint us a picture of the stress that Jesus was under. And it's hard for us as humans to wrap, around, wrap our mind around this, right? It's hard for us as humans to wrap our mind the, around the idea that God in the flesh is feeling this way. And so some of us, there's a tension point there because there's other people that have said, well, hey, because Jesus is feeling like this, it's actually almost a fear or a weakness that he's showing. And I want to answer that question because it's nothing like that at all. It's nothing like that at all. And when we get to why he's feeling like that, you'll understand the burden that he's feeling. So the question that I want to ask is why? Why is Jesus feeling like this? Some of you may be thinking, well, Josh, he's probably a day away from being crucified. And that's a big deal. That's a hard thing to go through. And I say hard, that's like a complete understatement, right? And so you're thinking, well, that's why he's feeling this way, because he's going through this, this, this understanding that he's about to be crucified on a cross. Well, I can understand that and get that. The, 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 the book of Mark really doesn't talk about that in a way. Jesus speaks of his death as it's, it's eminent. I understand that he probably was nervous because of the, the way that it was going to feel and all that, but I think it's bigger than that. And I think that we'll see in the scripture that it's bigger than that. Because as he talked about his death, it was just a matter of fact. He talked about his death as if it had to happen. In fact, it's the reason why he came. So why is he feeling like that? Well, before we get into why he's feeling like that, I want to just introduce you to who Jesus is. Now, I'm not saying that the, the, the last 13 chapters, we haven't done that, but just so we're all on the same page, we understand why he's feeling this way because of who he is. The first thing I want to introduce to you is Jesus is God. 
Jesus is God. In fact, in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The scripture tells us that Jesus is God in the flesh. God in the flesh. And in fact, again, the language there speaks of he, he put his attributes aside, his godly attributes aside, and literally clothed himself in human flesh. He is God. And you know what? We talk about this quite a bit. We talk about it really at Christmas time, right? At Christmas time, we talk about Jesus. One of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was not just any ordinary human being. While he was human, he was God in the flesh. The second thing is Jesus is also a man. We see in the Gospels that Jesus was hungry. He was thirsty. He became tired. He became sad when his friends passed away. He became weary when he saw the sin of the world. All those are human attributes. Because Jesus was not only God, but he was also a man. And the third thing is Jesus is sinless. Jesus is sinless. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So this verse is actually saying that Jesus knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. But not only did he know no sin, he became sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God. So as we look at this, we look at this, we realize that Jesus, because he was God, because he was sinless, had never known the separation from his heavenly father. See, in, way back in the beginning of the, of the Bible in Genesis, God created man and he created them perfect. He created them perfect. In fact, he said everything that he created was good. Everything that he created was good. And so when God created us, we made the choice to separate ourselves from God by choosing our own way. And that's the word sin that you hear a lot. We did things that God did not want us to do. Anything that we do that separates us from God is called sin. Well, Jesus never had that. As Jesus' life went forward, Jesus never had that separation from God. But in that verse in 2 Corinthians, it said that he had to become sin for us. So all of a sudden, we start to have this picture unfolding of why Jesus is feeling this incredible burden. This picture starts to open up of it's not just about the physical death he's going to endure, which is, which is horrible and horrific, but it's much more than that. The spiritual torment that he's going to endure because he's being separated from his heavenly father for the first time. Not because he did anything wrong, but because he became sin for us. And he illustrates this, he illustrates this with a picture in his prayer. He says this. He says, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. I, I think it's interesting sometimes when we look at the scripture, we need to ask the question, why, why did Jesus use this, this picture of a cup? Oh, thank you, sir. Why did Jesus use the picture of this cup? And, it, and if you look at the scripture, it's actually a theme throughout the entire scripture that God is storing his wrath, his hatred for sin. He's storing it in a cup. He's storing it in a cup. In fact, in Isaiah 51, 17, it says that God is storing his wrath 
in a cup. In Revelation chapter 14, it says that God is storing his wrath in a cup. So when we see the picture of the cup here that Jesus is speaking of, he's actually about to drink a cup that no one could drink. He's actually about to endure the most painful process that anybody in the history of the world has had to endure. It's not just a physical death. It's a spiritual weight that's being thrust on him, namely the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future. God is about to pour out all of his anger at sin and treat Jesus as if he had done those things. The best way I could, I could explain it, because Jesus takes the sin of everybody in the past, everybody today, and everybody in the future. And that's hard for our human minds to wrap around. The best way I could, I could try and illustrate that is we have to think of it as a debt that we owe God. Every time we sin, it is like a transaction that's being added to our account. Every time we sin, it's like a transaction. And every time we, we've told a white lie, we've cheated on a test, you know, all, all the things that we've done, and I don't want to go through them all because I know that you have them just as well as I do. It's being added to our account like a bill. You can imagine, because we know ourselves, right? You can imagine that's got to be a pretty tough bill just for us, just for me. I know myself. I know how, how many things I've done wrong. I know the thoughts that come into my head that really no one else in the world but God really knows. Every one of those thoughts is being added to my account, being added to my account. And it's not just me. It's the nine billion other people on the planet. It's the billions that have lived in the past. It's the billions that could live in the future. Jesus is feeling the weight of all of that sin on him in this moment. The only way that I can even wrap my mind around it, this is for me, and if it helps you, that's fine too. But the national debt of the United States of America is $26.70 trillion. Probably not giving anybody any news, okay? Now, that was as of, um, you know, about eight this morning, okay? It's probably gone up pretty, pretty, pretty high since then. $26 trillion, Imagine this. Imagine you're at home one day and somebody from the IRS shows up and knocks on the door and says, hey, listen, the debt of the United States has now been added to your account. When you go on to your, you go on to your credit score, it's going to say that you owe somebody $26.7 trillion. Now, after probably some words that shouldn't come out and, and maybe some legality that you're trying to do, right, you would try to fight this you would realize that, no, 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 this is actually what has to happen. And so maybe you go to your pocketbook or your bank and you're like, how can I create some margin? You know, like, I've got a couple hundred dollars, I could stop doing this, maybe I could stop going to Starbucks every day or, or whatever, and you're trying to create margin, but in reality, most of you in your head are going, it's impossible. There's no way. Because the amount of debt that's being added, you could never match that amount being taken away. None of us could. None of us could. And friends, listen, this is the difference between every religion besides those who follow Jesus. This is the difference here. Every other religion in the world will tell you that you have got to work. 
You've got to make payments. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep adding the good things in your life so that way you can somehow get to heaven. And Jesus is the only one, that, the only one that's ever said, no, you don't have to do it. I will. I will. And it's almost like a, a, a story that you're like, no, 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 that, that can't be right. That can't be right. Every other religion will tell you, you have to work to get to heaven. But friend, listen to me. It is not the number of good things that will get you to heaven. It is the one bad thing that will keep you out. See, some of us, we see heaven as a scale, right? We see heaven as, I'll, uh, when, I get to, when I get before God, he's going to say, all right, let's add up all your good things. Let's add up all your bad things. And if the good things outweigh the bad, you're good. But that's not it. That's not how it works. Because the Bible says that it's actually a book that your name is written in. There's nothing has to do with scales. It's a name that you it's a book that your name is written in. And if your name's not in the book, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. But friends, I am here to give you the most incredible news. That God, his hatred for sin has been put on Jesus instead of us. God's hatred for sin has been put on Jesus instead of us. So when we see in this situation that Jesus is actually going through a physical torment, friends, I would submit to you, he is actually going through more spiritual torment than anything else. Because just like you would probably tell all these IRS agents, listen, I didn't do all of this debt. I didn't, I didn't put anything into that debt. Why should I have to pay it off? It's the same way. Jesus never added to this debt. But he said, instead of you trying to work for it, he said, I'll take your place. I'll do it. I'll take your place. And so maybe some of you have, have not come to church in a while. Or maybe some of you don't see the point of church. And I would just submit to you, same thing I tell my kids all the time. This is the reason why I come to church and sing so loud. This is the reason why when God asks me to do something, I want to do it. Because of this. Because how could I not return this incredible, incredible gift? Because all he asks is for me in return. See, the idea here is that Jesus took our place. Jesus took our place. I know some of you out there may be thinking to yourself, Josh, listen, that's great. You mentioned lying, you mentioned cheating, but you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea the burden of sin that I carry around. And maybe some of you are shaking hands and smiling as you're walking in, but in reality, inside your heart, you're thinking to yourself, I carry a burden that no one knows. And friends, I would, I would submit to you that you're correct. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I serve a big God. And he knows. He knows. And his strength and his power dwarfs my sin and your sin. If I could illustrate it like this, imagine this. Imagine we can, we can illustrate your sin as a rock. As a rock. So you're, you're carrying around this rock. It's just big enough for you to pick it up, but it's, it's big enough for you to have to drop it every two or three steps. And you're picking it up and you're carrying it. You take it to the grocery store. You take it to your kids' ball games. You take it to the bank. You take it to work. You take it everywhere you go because it's a burden that's always on you. And you carry this rock and you're carrying it. And finally you get here and you say, I cannot carry this rock any longer. So I tell you, all right, 
well, let's go, let's go to the coast. We'll get a boat, and we'll get on the boat with your rock. So we get on the boat. You lift that rock for the last time, and you put it in the boat, and you get on. We go about 15 miles out. We can't see land. We're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And I tell you, throw that rock into the ocean. Throw it into the ocean. So if the last time you pick that rock up, you barely get it over the side and you put it in the ocean. Friends, I'm here to tell you, your biggest rock that you could possibly throw in the ocean, it wouldn't raise the ocean a millimeter. The ocean would swallow that rock up bigger than anything we could ever imagine. That is the idea compared to God's grace in our sin. We think it's so big, and maybe some of you have done things that you're ashamed of, and I understand that, but I'm, trying to hear, I'm here to try to tell you the grace of God is bigger. Amen. We can't out-sin the grace of God, and you're thinking to yourself, but Josh, that's not fair. I know, but his hatred for that sin was poured out on Jesus. So that when we accept this free gift of of faith, we accept this free gift of salvation, God is no longer mad at me because he was mad at Jesus. He had to be because Jesus became my sin. Jesus became your sin. And any one of us can accept this free gift. Any one of us. But Jesus is not going to force himself on you. Right? He's not, he's not going to force himself on you. He wants you to accept this free gift. He wants you to accept it for yourself. Not out of duty, but because when you see what he did for us, he took that sin. And the next week, Pastor Chris will talk about him going to the cross, him being buried, and him raising again on the third day. So not only did he pay the debt sin that I owed, When he rose from the dead, God said this, payment accepted. So now all we have to do is say, Jesus, I want to get in on that. Would you pay my bill too? And he will. He's faithful to pay it. As we finish this passage out, a lot of Bible scholars actually call this passage the last temptation of Jesus. So if you go to the beginning of the Gospels, you'll see that, uh, that, that Jesus is actually tempted by Satan. And Satan tries three or four different times to say, hey, listen, if you worship me, I'll give you the world. If you worship me, I'll do... He gives all these scenarios, and Jesus fights that temptation and overcomes. But here, we see in this passage that there, I think there's a cosmic battle going on here. And the reason why I say that is because every time Jesus comes out, Every time Jesus prays and he comes out, he says to his disciples, wake up, wake up. Because if you don't pray, you're going to fall into temptation. What was Jesus doing? He was praying because he was being tempted as well. And in fact, in the same chapter of Luke, Luke says that there were angels actually uh, tending to Jesus through this process. There were angels that were saying, we're helping him and they're tending to him because of the weight he was about to carry. And I have to think that there was also somebody else there. Because this was Satan's last stand. This was Satan's last stand against what was about to happen. Because after Jesus rose from the dead, there was no chance. It was over. It was finished. And Jesus continually says to stay awake. And friends, listen, for everyone in this room, this is a passage of warning for all of us. Stay awake. 
wake up. For those of us that follow Christ, for those of us that call ourselves Jesus followers, we need to stop thinking that the natural flow of this world is going to pull us toward God. It's just not. If you're a Jesus follower, we will always be going against the current. Always. And like I mentioned to you earlier, one of my favorite places to go is the beach. And you guys, if you've ever been in the beach, you realize that if you stop thinking about the current, right, if you stop thinking about the current, you're playing and you're running around, all of a sudden, 20 minutes later, you look up, you're 100 yards from where you were, right? You didn't mean to do that. It's just the way it was. And that current took you. Friends, that's the picture of what is happening in this world as, we've, as we follow Jesus. If we don't wake up, if we don't wake up, that's the current that's going to pull us. We're never going to naturally flow back to God. So we need to stay awake. We need to stay awake in our marriages. Marriage, listen, is hard enough. Marriage is a constant battle, let alone the attack the culture puts on marriage. The biblical view of marriage We need to stay awake in our marriages. Our marriages will never get better without intentional effort to seek out what God wants, to show each other the gospel every single day, to pray with each other, to love all that is required as an active act of obedience to God first and then to our spouse. But if you're not investing in your marriage, let me tell you, friends, it's probably going the other way. We have to actively stay awake. For those of us, that our parents, we have to stay awake with our kids. Our kids will not naturally go toward God without intentional focus of us as parents. Listen, we, I'm guilty of this too. We come to church for a couple hours a week and think that, hey, we, we, we did it. But friends, listen, as parents, we need to be more intentional every single day to say, how are we, how are we showing our kids the Jesus that we love? How are we pulling them toward God in our everyday life? How are we showing them that prayer is more than just happening at a meal? That our Bible study is more than just checking off a box? That coming to church and actually actively serving is what we should be doing, not just showing up? But friends, I I work with the middle school and high school students. I know that the statistics tell us that most students will walk away from the church. that's, That's what the statistics say. That most students after high school will walk away from the church. Now, I don't blame this all on parents because, listen, at the end of the day, at 18, they're going to make their own decision. They're going to make their own decision. We can do everything right, and they'll still walk away. But, friends, I'm here to tell you, let's make it a little more difficult for them to walk away. Church is not easy. It's not an easy habit, right? Let's Let's make it more difficult for them to walk away. The third thing, we have to stay awake in our relationships. Stay awake in our relationships. I've, I've talked to a few pastor friends of mine over the, over the last couple of months, and it's interesting. Because of 2020, it's almost like we have to have a relaunch of relationships. Anybody else feel that way? Right? Because we were, we were so kind of broken up with relationships that now that 2020 is over, we have to almost have a relaunch of relationships. For some of us, it's our relationship with God. For some of us, it's our relationship with the lost, the people who don't know Jesus. It's our relationship with the people that we come in contact with at the grocery store. It's the relationship that we come in contact with our mechanic. It's as you go. 
Some of us have, have had to relaunch those relationships. And same thing as the church. Some of us have had to relaunch the relationship we have with the church. For those of you that may not know, may not walk with Jesus at this moment, this is a warning for you as well. It's not a threat. That's not what I'm trying to communicate. But it is a warning to us all. We have to wake up. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man to die once, and then comes judgment. Listen, death is an appointment that none of us know what date that appointment's on, but we will all be on time. We'll all be on time. My dad used to say that death is the only fair thing in life. We all go through it. And we don't get to choose when we go through it. And when we die, the Bible says that we will go before God. We will go before God. And he's going to say, I'll use myself, Josh, why should I let you into heaven? What have you done? And for most of us would say, I've done some good things. God, I, I tried to give to non nonprofits. I, I tried to do all these things. But friends, listen to me. The only answer that will be acceptable is what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? And I'm here to submit to you that God who created you loves you. And in John 3, 16, probably one of the most famous verses in the world, says, for God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his son, that whoever would believe should have eternal life. And friends, if you're in here and you've never done that, I can't force you to do it. I know it sounds bad, but maybe if I could, I would. But I can't. It's got to be God that's drawing you. And I pray that as, as I've been talking, there's been something in your mind. There's been something in your mind that has not been my voice, but something else saying, you need this. You need this. You've been fighting long enough. You've been carrying that burden around long enough. You need this. So inside the pew, right in front of you, there's a decision card. There's a decision card. It has a little yellow that says, make a decision. Maybe for you, that decision would be following Jesus, saying, God, I know I can't do this on my own. I know that because I've done some things wrong, I'm separated from you. But right now, I put my complete trust in the finished work that you did. I put my complete trust in you taking my place and you dying on the cross and raising from the dead. I put my complete trust in you and I want to follow you. Maybe that's the decision you want to write down. Maybe the other decision is maybe some of us who are Jesus followers need to just hit the reset button. We need to wake up. We need to wake up. And as we hit that reset button, Maybe that's a decision we just want to write down. Because listen, our, our team, we want to pray for you. I'm not going to call anybody forward. But if you want to write, that, write down your decision that you made on that card, I want to pray for you. And we want to help you take next steps in how to do that. If it's, if it's how, Josh, how do I have a quiet time with my family? It's, Josh, my marriage is really struggling. How can I get help? Maybe for you, Josh, I want to make that decision. I want to make that decision to follow Christ. That's the first decision in many decisions. It's the best one that you can make. So let me close in a word of prayer. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Bow your heads and close your eyes. And, and listen, I just want to pray for you. Whatever decision that you're making, I just want to pray for you. 
Heavenly Father, as we come before you now, we ask. We ask that you show up in our hearts. We ask that you, in some way, speak to us. Whether it's through your word, we read it. Whether it's through a friend or a loved one that brought us, Lord, you speak to us. And I ask now that as, as we try and make these decisions, we try and make sense of your word, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak. And Lord, if anybody in here needs you to be their Savior, I pray that they would do that today. I pray that they'd fill out a decision. Lord, if anybody in here just needs a reset button, Lord, I pray that you would allow them, give them, give them the boldness to say something to a friend. Give them the boldness to speak to one of us after the, after the service is over. Lord, we're grateful for who you are. We're grateful that you love us. We're grateful that you did this for us. And Lord, we just want to stop and remember the burden that you did, the burden that you actually handled for me, for all of us. We want to say thank you. So we pray over the next few moments as we, as we sing to you, Lord, maybe some of us just need to continue in this posture this posture of prayer, instead of singing out loud, we may just want to sing these words in our hearts and say, God, help me. But Lord, some of us, we need to sing and worship in such a way that we reflect the beautiful gift you've given us. So Lord, as we stand and sing, Lord, help us to be an act of worship to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.